0: Good morning to you, and please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, something that is common to all of us, whether you live in the States or whether you live in Africa. And that is suffering that comes through trials and temptations. And this morning we will be considering this. Uh, We are living in interesting times. And uh, as Christians, we often struggle worth being mindful in our suffering and I think what James is doing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is giving us some uh, practical instructions on how to be mindful when we suffer. Now uh, you will be very familiar with what I'm going to tell you now. Now where I come from we don't have many automatic cars but we have I don't even know what you guys call it, but a gear shift? Is that, does that make sense? And uh, there is nothing as dangerous as a car that's out of gear going downhill. And when it comes to suffering, we often put our minds in neutral. And we go down through the suffering, into the suffering, and we tell ourselves, I just need to get through this. This text, however, tells us that there is great benefit in suffering with our minds in gear, mindful suffering. We need to have our minds in the Word of God. We need to be informed about what God is doing, and we need to follow what the Lord is instructing us to do. So, in this text, we all know about James, and some say he was a cousin of the Lord, some say he was a, a brother of the Lord, and, but it's James writing to a Jewish audience, and we will see the Jewishness of the text very soon. So, as I come to this text this morning, just to kind of get ourselves prepared and comfortable in our seats, I want to explain to you the way God sees suffering. I want to explain to you you, the way God uses suffering and how he wants you to participate with him in your suffering. We also got to consider how we ought to look at um, the right responses in suffering and, of course, how we can prepare ourselves for suffering. Now, one of the worst things to do when you suffer is arriving at the suffering unprepared. And so we need to prepare ourselves beforehand for suffering because it is going to come. You'll also note in the text, and we will read it soon, that he's speaking to believers. So what he's doing here, he is talking to the saints, those who have been saved by Christ through the perfect work, the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for them to suffer in a way that will be part of them working out their salvation. Um, Philippians 1 says, "'Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, "'for it is God who is at work in you.'" So when we suffer, we know it is part of that process of being conformed to the perfect sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ, We are to work it out, and this is what God is working in us, in our suffering. Now, there are different kinds of suffering, and we are all familiar with the suffering. And when you over 60, you would have seen a variety of that. You would have experienced suffering because of the deeds of others. You would have been in situations where you might have been overwhelmed. Things people did to you, or perhaps the consequences of your own sin has brought suffering for you and for others. Let us read our text James chapter 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." We're talking about trials. We're talking about suffering, and when we come to the Bible, there are many examples of suffering, and uh, yes, the world is suffering, unbelievers suffer, but here it is directed to believers that we are uh, going to experience hardships and trials and difficulties. An example of this is found in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4. You don't have to turn there. It is the Apostle Paul, a servant of the Lord, who is experiencing much suffering because he is in the service of God. Just listen to the kind of suffering he is experiencing. Now, this is physical, physical suffering. Afflictions, hardships, difficulties, beatings. Imprisonment, mob attacks, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. In 2 Corinthians 11 20, uh, 23, he continues and he talks, uh, uh, he kind of embroids on the suffering and he talks about beatings without number. And you kind of start seeing. There's a, there's a way the servant of the Lord here is, um, is suffering. Now, very often when we get into the church, people complain about their suffering. So, I have coined a phrase, and I would say to those who are in the church who are suffering, show me your wounds. Uh, show me the wounds. Show me how you have been suffering for serving the Lord, doing His will. Paul adds to the sufferings by his frequent journeys. Some he arrived in towns and sometimes he had to flee out of them. Uh, Dangers of rivers, robbers, countrymen, vicious Jews, Gentiles, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea among false brothers. But there's a second kind of suffering that I think all of us are very familiar with. Perhaps you haven't been left on the open sea for a a night or two, but you certainly would have been, uh, you've had the kind of non-physical suffering that Paul describes as well. And again, he describes us as a believer. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. And then he goes on and he explains this non-physical suffering. Perplexed. You just don't know. Something is happening and you cannot place it. Perplexity, despair, persecution, abandonment, just having a sense of being left alone. Struck down, destroyed. Have you experienced any of this? Are you currently experiencing difficulty? Perhaps you are experiencing the difficulty of a wayward child. Or perhaps you are experiencing financial difficulty that you cannot control. Perhaps you are experiencing an illness. Perhaps you are experiencing a constant illness that just no one seems to get to the bottom of what the cause is of this. I want to encourage you this morning that uh, just as you experience this, there are many others experiencing this with you, and perhaps you have come to the place where you've experienced this difficulty, and you have responded in ways different than the text. Perhaps you have become angry. Perhaps you are grumbling, and perhaps you are filled with shame because you've been grumbling and complaining, and you feel guilty. Perhaps you have self-pity with a sense of hopelessness, as if no one is out there to actually see what is going on. Perhaps you are discouraged with a lot of despair, discontentment. Perhaps you become angry, or perhaps you are trying to sugarcoat your suffering with entertainment, substance abuse, travel, seeing new places and meeting new people, maybe early retirement. Maybe you think that is what's going to sugarcoat this and make my suffering bearable. But perhaps pornography. It gives a, a, a relief for a moment or two. Maybe medication. Or maybe you are just stoic, stiff upper lip, you endure it, you go through it, and you plead, can I just go through this as quick as possible? This text tells us there's a better way to deal with our sufferings, with our trials. There's a biblical way in which God wants us to endure and and go through what we cannot avoid. The whole issue of suffering, we cannot avoid it. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And not just here and there. As believers, we will have trouble I love the phrase that Barnabas in the book of Acts told, to, he, he encouraged the Christians with this message. This was an encouragement. It's through many trials that you need, that you need to endure that you will enter eternal life. How's that for an encouragement? So this is not something you and I can control. So who controls our suffering? Well, the devil has been blamed for much of that. And uh, they are even formulated prayers by some designed in order to put him in his place, to bind him. And you often hear that when you are among Christians. And Christians forget that the devil is God's devil. And God uses his devil the way he wants to use him and the way he used him in Job's life. The devil is on a leash. The devil cannot do what he wants to or just as he thinks what he can achieve in the life of a believer. No, but the Lord is in the business of using evil and turning it for good. We've just celebrated something like that. The most horrific death ever uh, by ungodly men. Predestined before the foundations of the earth, to bring about a blessing so that we may rejoice. And we know that we have a mediator that introduces us to God, who is able to take the hand of a holy God and sinful men and introduce them to one another. That has all come through suffering, the suffering of our Savior. So this morning, as we come and look at our text, I want to start off by saying suffering is mightily used by God, but it was introduced by sin. When our representative in the garden sinned, he took the whole of humanity into sin, and uh, all of us are born in a state of sin, and suffering is part of that. Nature, as beautiful as your trees are, uh, in a few weeks' time, you're going to see that even they have been subjected to futility a reminder to us that while we experience suffering here, this is the message, this is not home. This is not home. Heaven is coming. That's a place where there will be no tears and that there will be no suffering. But the Lord is uh, wanting, uh, he, he wants to instruct us to, while we are here, while we are heading towards home, Uh, While we are working out our salvation, he wants us to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Now, if you look at that text, verse 2, the word various introduces the Jewish theme. Variated or variegated or also colorful. Colorful. Now the children should be able to tell me if you write uh, the word colorful to a Jewish audience who came to mind. But Joseph. So the Jews have experienced and they knew about the suffering of Joseph and the incredible salvation that was locked in, in, in his suffering. If he didn't go down to Egypt, which was brought about through suffering, his brother selling him uh, to be a slave, and for 24 years or so, he was there feeling forgotten and forsaken, if he didn't go down to Egypt, the people of God wouldn't have been redeemed from hunger. Which brings us into this point that your suffering at this moment has got a redemptive possibility. If you suffer, right. Now, parents, uh, you know how impatient we get when we suffer difficulties. What do we demonstrate to our children? What do we show them when we go through difficult? Sometimes we raise our voice. Sometimes uh, we are are certainly not like Joseph very often because uh, uh, we are just, we want to throw the suffering off. We we don't want it. But the point is, in in considering all joy, you need to consider the benefit that exists for suffering. And one of those benefits, and this is a biblical example of that, is described for us in the book of Philippians. Um, Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, and they were not good. Okay? He was, he was chained to a soldier. He couldn't even go to the bathroom. He had to be taken there. But I want you to know, my brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress. Not to make a better version of myself. What does it say at the end of the verse? Because that's what we expect. You see, that's what we want. We want to be a better version of myself at the end of my suffering. He says no for the progress of the gospel. So it's not self-focused mindfulness uh, in suffering, but it is uh, my mind is filled in my suffering to use it in such a way and to act in it in such a way that it's going to bring progress of the gospel to my children and to my family and to at those times when we experience hardships. Now, What does this word, consider, mean? The word, consider, means holding a certain view of the subject. Consider it, or join my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Have a view of suffering before you enter into suffering. We can put it like this. As Christians, we are to have a certain opinion regarding the issue of suffering. You know that there are churches where you can go to learn how to live so that you can be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous? I was not supposed to say that. Well, it doesn't work, okay? So just get that in your mind. It doesn't work because... We as Christians are, we live in a fallen world, we have bodies that are prone to sin, and, uh, and we are subject to futility. We, our, our bodies, uh, everything about us. And so the Lord wants our minds to be informed with a theology of suffering before we enter into it so that we can suffer Biblically, that means put your brain in action, think biblically when you suffer. Now, I want to give you a few considerations. I want to give you a few opinions this morning, and my intent here is to be practical. is to help you um, go through your suffering, or the suffering that's heading your way, because it is, um, and so that you can do it God's way. First of all, the first thing you need to consider regarding suffering, don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised when it comes. Look at the text. The text says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you suffer, when you have trials. It doesn't say if you have trials. It doesn't give you that option. It tells us that it is heading our way. Consider it all joy. Um, this is normal part of life. It is going to come, and it 's going to come in a variety of ways it 's not just one kind of suffering it 's going to come from different directions it 's going to come from very surprising directions and um, very similar to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter four verse twelve. you might want to write that down and go Go read it further at home. But he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal uh, among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. It's not weird for Christians to suffer. Um, There are people that think if we suffer, we are not worshiping God correctly. And there are people maybe sitting here this morning and you've been exposed to good teaching and your natural response is when you suffer, um, I'm not worshipping God. Right. But that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying that God allows suffering to occur in the believer's life. The second consideration is to consider it And this has got to do with the attitude. Consider it joy. And it doesn't fit there. Can't we replace that with another word? Consider it joy. Consider it joy. What does it mean? Well, it means that obviously the suffering has a purpose, and I can consider it joy because the suffering is allowed by someone who is in control. Now, we don't like that, but it kind of has to pass God's desk when suffering comes. He has to allow it. And when He allows it, um, there is a sense in considering it, we can tell ourselves He's up to something good. He's up to something good here. Now, when we suffer, we are prone to look at God in our suffering through our difficulty. So all we see very close is this incredible suffering that we're experiencing, and then we try and figure out who God is on the other side of the suffering, the chaos, the mess. That's one way, but it's not a biblical way. If we are to, go to consider a joy, what we should be doing is we should be looking at our suffering, the chaos, through God. And the moment I look at my suffering through God, it is a different picture. Have you studied the attributes of God? That He is gracious and merciful and full of compassion and long-suffering? And that is who He is constantly. And this is a loving God in the midst with us who promises, I'm never going to leave or forsake you. I can, con- I can consider it joy. Another temptation that we have, instead of considering it a joy, we see it as an inconvenience. This is just, a- have you heard people yourself say, why now? Why should it happen now? Why not when next week? Why just before we go on a holiday, this Horrible thing is happening. And uh, so we often see it as an inconvenience. And in order to see it as joy, we need to change our view of seeing it as an inconvenience into uh, seeing it as an opportunity. Here is an opportunity for me to see the deliverance of the Lord. We can, we have to. You see that mindlessness is very easy. It comes naturally, and we have to stoke, is that, does that make sense what I'm saying, our minds with the truth of God's word and get the fire in there, and we've got to say, here is an opportunity. Just like Paul in prison. It was an opportunity for the gospel. Or perhaps it's a spiritual opportunity. And what I mean by that is that here's an opportunity to receive out of the Lord's hand. We just sang it. I don't know. And when I sing those hymns about shall I complain when there's drought and those kind of stuff, we just sang a lovely hymn about that. Uh, That's beautiful on paper, but we need to get it inside of us and we need to get it in our minds. But here it is, considering as an opportunity, uh, we can consider it as something coming from the Lord. Just listen to Peter write on suffering. 1 Peter 1 verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. The same tone, the same tune as James chapter 1 verse 2. Though now for a little while, and then this confusing phrase, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, can you tell me who determines whether it is necessary Certainly not you and me, but God considers it necessary. And this is an opportunity, this is a spiritual opportunity to receive from the Lord what He sees as necessary. Now, sometimes what is necessary, the trials that come, uh, they kind of uh, in, in various ranges of heat. uh, But you know who's got his hand on the dial with the heat? God himself. God himself. He determines the heat. He knows what you can endure. He knows what you can go through. And so during those times, you see, this is all information for our prayer our prayer times, our prayer meetings. Um, How do we pray when someone goes through difficulty? Lord, heal so-and-so. Make it easy for so-and-so. Give them wonderful journeys and all that stuff. But the information that we have here is actually the stuff that we should be praying. Lord, help us grow. Lord, help us to receive our trials out of your hand. Lord, help us to... Oh, that's painful, isn't it? Just hearing that. But that is the purpose of suffering, so that we may come out of it looking like the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a wonderful sufferer. One of my favorite texts is also going to introduce another consideration to Corinthians chapter 4, and you might want to turn there. Um, for considering what's happening when we are suffering. In 2 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians, I'm always reminded of that, okay? I know I'm from Africa. That's how we do it there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, Paul is speaking about uh, his his trials and uh, difficulties. And he says there, look at verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. How is the inner man being renewed? Well, obviously because he's thinking biblically. He's putting in place what, what God wants him to put in place. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Verse 17, producing for us an eternal weight of glory. What does that mean, eternal weight of glory? Basically, we can say, it creates a larger capacity within me to worship God when the trial comes to an end. So here you have like this inner balloon that is being created, the, the, the space is being created for much glorification to take place when the deliverance comes. And of course, one day when we, when the Lord Jesus, when we see him face to face and he says, well done, and he embraces us and receives us, that's going to be the ultimate moment where that capacity of expectation is going to be transformed into eternal worship. And that's what suffering does. It makes us look forward to what is coming in the future. But while we wait, we want to endure like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Also, it helps us and gives us an opportunity to focus what did Jesus do when he suffered? He went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He was there with his disciples. He told them what to do. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He was praying. He went to his father. Uh, he, he knew suffering was going to come. He was not going to resolve the suffering in his way. He was going to go through it. So we have this example of the Lord Jesus Christ as a way to suffer. Another example is found in 2 Timothy 4.16, an example of Paul. He says, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. And then this wonderful phrase, The Lord stood with me. Don't you just love that phrase? We should be seeking in our suffering that the Lord is standing, because we will experience that he is standing with us when we go through the suffering. Lastly, on the word consider, we have to consider whether we have sinned. We have to consider whether we have sinned. Um, And, you know, 1 John 1, verse 9 is wonderful, and so is 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, that's not what we want to hear, but let me just give you an example, and I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, and you might want to turn there. But suffering, when, the, when it puts the pressure on us, it kind of brings things out that we were not aware of before. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, the Lord speaks to His people, and He reminds them And he says, and you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, it sounds as if the Lord had to do this so that he could see what was in the, but the Lord is all-knowing, and we know that that is not true. But you and I need to be reminded from time to time that when we go through suffering and the heat is on and the pressure is on, what comes out? And that is what the Lord is after. He wants you to know what is in your heart. He wants you to repent. He wants you to change. He wants you to rely upon him for, so that you can change in that area. I'm going to give you a minute, uh, uh, no, not a minute, three seconds to evaluate what comes out of your heart. And if you don't know, ask your wife. And if she doesn't know, ask your children. They will tell you what comes out of your heart when you suffer. How, how do they observe this? Are you living with a, a, th- a good biblical theology of suffering? Well, God wants to do that. Which brings you to the second part of the sermon, and then we'll be done. What is God up to in the suffering? We've considered all these things, and there's already an overlap here. But look at verse 3. There's certain things that we can know. Know this that the testing of your faith produces endurance, the testing of your precious faith produces endurance so a faith that doesn't give up but a faith that continues and endures and verse 4 and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing <coughs> there are certain things we need to know when we suffer and that is That God is around He said to his disciples, he said, you are able, you know that summer is here when you see the green appear on the fig leaves, or on on the fig tree. When we suffer as Christians, we can know that the gardener is in the garden. And whenever you have a beautiful garden, you have some pruning, and you have fertilizing. And he is in the garden, and he is cutting away and to produce a greater harvest and a greater result. And it is good for us to know that when we suffer, uh, that we shouldn't practice spiritual deism. You know deism is the, the God created the world, and then he left the world to tick by itself. He doesn't intervene. Uh, there are many Christians who who practice spiritual deism. No. He's right there. Now, interesting, when you look at the text, the word God, uh, relating to testing, is not mentioned. It doesn't say God is testing it, testing you, but he is. To produce something good. And when there's pruning and when there's manuring, there's an expectation by God that the fruit will, you will bear the fruit. There's great benefit in our suffering. The whole picture of testing is, uh, can be illustrated with the following. I used to live in the most beautiful city in the world, and that is Cape Town. Okay, I don't live there anymore. But there's a harbor and so ships from all over the world will come and they will put the ship in a dry dock and then for months they'll be working on the ship and they will scrape off all the rust and replace uh, windows and pieces of steel and over a period of time as you walk past you see oh this is beautiful this looks like a new ship now the question is do they test that ship in a dry dock. No, they don't. They uh, fill it with water, and then they wait for a really bad day. You know, the Cape of the Storms? Have you heard of that expression? That's the place. And then they take it in the open sea to see whether it will be able to endure the storm. They're testing whether this vessel can, can continue. And that's a picture. And that's a reminder for us that when we go through difficulties, God is taking us on the open waters and he's testing us. And if there's work to be done, he's going to take us to the dry dock. It's all in the context of grace. It's all in the context of mercy. So perhaps you have this uh, tendency that... um, when you are being tested, that you tell yourself, I'm a victim. You have this victim mentality. These things are being done to me. I cannot believe that my child will do that to me. Or perhaps you have a perishing mentality. I cannot do this. I can't. I cannot endure. No, you can. As a believer, do you know you have the Holy Spirit of God working within you? Do you know that God himself has his eye on you. He knows all your flaws. He knows all your difficulties. He knows all your afflictions. It's not time to think I'm a victim. It's not time to think I'm perishing. Or it's not, I need to get out of this, an escape mentality. But look what the text says, so that we can endure. So that we can go through you know the best way through uh, the best way for a Christian to get out of a situation is to go through the situation and that's sometimes very hard another purpose that the Lord has is so that we may be complete lacking in nothing only the Lord Jesus Christ is complete and therefore we can test whether our our Way of suffering is Christ-centered. Has your suffering made you more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you have clay here where you live, clay soil? What happens when you take a piece of clay and you leave it in the sun? It becomes, goes dead, (laughs) dry, it cracks, and you, you can't do anything with it. But what happens when you take a candle and you put it in the Georgian sun? It's moldable, isn't it? It is good for us to come at times and evaluate, has my suffering made me like hard like clay, or has it made me more moldable? Lord is in the business of molding His people through suffering. I want to close with this text, often misused, but it needs to be understood. Romans 8 verse 28, We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. All things, not just the good stuff, not just Costco. Okay? Like when I arrive here, we don't have a Costco. I think, man, this is heaven. This, must, this will produce the most wonderful fruit. And like after 30 seconds, I realize the opposite. Okay? No. No. It's all things, the good and the bad, is producing the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is said, when silver is taken out of the rock, there's 40 parts of lead to one part of silver when it's separated. The silver is placed in a furnace, heated at a very specific temperature and the dross is scooped off. And then they take borax and they put that on and kind of more trash comes out of the silver. But the silversmith is happy when he can look down and see the perfect reflection of his face in the silver. That is the purpose of the suffering you are experiencing now. And that is the purpose of the suffering that you are going to encounter very soon. For the likeness of the perfect sufferer to be formed within us. Don't waste your suffering. Go through your suffering with your mind in gears, in biblical gears, so that you may be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for your word that is very clear. We thank you that you can take um, horrible things and turn them into beautiful things. We thank you that you are at work within us, to willing to do it according to your purpose. We thank you that as we are gathered here together as Christians. We are familiar with what we hear. Uh, We know our failures, and so we pray that you will help us to recognize these things when we suffer, uh, uh, with whom we have a problem when we suffer, and uh, that you will help us to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to the word to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us in this day. Thank you for the Christian fellowship. Thank you that you are with us. You will not abandon us. You will not leave or forsake us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.